This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We all know fire today as a source of heat, light, protection, a technological aid and a social enabler, but it hasn't always been like that. And at what stage did hominins lose their fear of fire as something really dangerous? Wildfire must have been a source of fire for early hominins, and presumably they grasped it and used it right there at its source. But lightning is probably the most common cause of wildfire in Africa, and it thus provides a seasonal source of fire, but a very brief source of fire. So in the early days when hominids first made use of fire, it would not have been very commonly. We have to distinguish fire use as opposed to the deliberate control of fire and its creation. So the opportunistic seasonal collection of fire from a natural source seems likely for the earliest hominins. But what we don't know is whether in those early times they could necessarily transport the fire, feed it once they got it where they needed it, and then maintain the fire for as long as they needed it. As a sideline, it's quite interesting to note that Raymond Dart, in 1948, named the three-million-year-old Makapan fossils, Australopithecus prometheus, and Job already mentioned that. But he named them that after the mythological giant that had stolen fire from the heavens. And the reason that Dart named it that was because there were some blackened bones associated with the fossils in the sites, and he thought that perhaps they were making fire. But unfortunately, chemical tests quickly showed that this was simply staining on the bones, and so the name was discontinued until recently resurrected by Ron Clark as the name for his new fossil, little foot, but of course not because Ron believes that those fossils were using fire, but because of the, um, the morphological similarity. We have only rare evidence for early fire use in Africa, and I'm selecting three of the most famous of the sites to, to demonstrate that. Kubifora, Swartkrantz, and Vondervaak. So Kubifora is at Lake Tukana in Kenya, and it was excavated predominantly by Jack Harris. The site is an open site, and I make that point because it's important. It's one and a half million years old, and Jack found burnt sediment in the site associated with burnt stone and burnt bone. Many of the critics would have suggested that perhaps wildfire swept through the site and and burnt the traces, 
But Jack points out that in addition to the burnt burn and stone, there are unburnt burns and stones in between those patches. And so it seems most likely that hominins um, exploited fire here, though perhaps very briefly. In its Swartkrantz in member three, which is one million years old, Bob Brain found 270 pieces of burnt burn, which he believes was evidence for fire, pretty much directly below the, the grid that you see there. And associated with those burnt bones were uh, bones that had been used as tools that subsequently Lucinda Backwell believes were used for extracting termites out of their mounds. Von der Wack, I think, is particularly interesting because this is a cave, and I emphasize that. Caves are dangerous places where carnivores live. And it would seem really unlikely that hominids would be able to move in there without the use of fire. And I emphasize always the difference between the use of fire as opposed to the control of fire. There's very little chance that fire could have accidentally got into Von der Vac because the fire traces here are 30 meters from the entrance. And this implies that the hominins would have transported fire from its source, perhaps wildfire, but the traces are ephemeral, so fire probably wasn't maintained for very long within the site. Here is the stratigraphic evidence and micromorphology from stratum 10, one million years old. And if you have a look over on the left there, uh, within the black box, you'll see the layers of ashes that demonstrate that fire. Alongside that also, um, there were burnt bits of bone, an FTIR, Fourier transform uh, spectroscopy, demonstrates that burning of bone. There were Achillean hand axes associated with stratum 10. Now, there were no fossil remains, but presumably the, the actor was Homo erectus, also known sometimes in Africa as Homo ergaster. Leaving aside the sites for the moment, we must ask the question, what evolutionary changes were taking place from the time that we see the evidence for fire? And is there any way of linking these changes to fire use? Homo erectus appeared in Africa somewhere between two and one and a half million years ago. That's certainly before we see the archaeological evidence for the traces of fire that I showed you. But what is interesting is that compared with earlier hominins, the brain size of Homo erectus increased and the teeth and the gut size decreased, as Job showed you earlier. Big brains are expensive tissues, and this increased brain size, yet reduced tooth and gut size, imply that Homo erectus must have had an enriched diet compared with earlier hominins. Now, there are competing schools of thought about why the physical evolution took place at this time. 
The first one is that hominins may have become more effective at obtaining meat, especially fatty meat. Secondly, that hominins may have processed food mechanically, in the case of plants, to break down fiber, in the case of animal foods, to to break down uh, tissue. And thirdly, that hominins may have cooked their food sometimes. How likely is it that Homo erectus sometimes used fire for cooking? This claim is made in the Cooking Hypothesis by Richard Wrangham in his wonderful book, Catching Fire. And cooking would especially benefit the young or the aged with deficient teeth. But the sporadic archaeological evidence for fire use doesn't wholly support the cooking hypothesis. But as archaeologists, we recognize that evidence may be absent for several reasons, not least bad preservation in many of the sites. So, could she have cooked dinner some nights? And more importantly, could Homo erectus have roasted tubers like the Hadza do today? O'Connell and colleagues in their grandmothering hypothesis suggest that this would have been a particularly cogent thing for older women to do, that they would have improved the health and the well-being, especially of children, Um, by collecting tubers and roasting them to break down that fiber. And what is the earliest archaeological evidence that we have for roasting starchy plants? It's certainly a long time after the presence of Homo erectus. Now, the African Middle Stone Age began about 300,000 years ago, and we don't get direct archaeological evidence for tubers even then. But at Border Cave, which is now being re-excavated under the leadership of Lucinda Backwell, we see a Middle Stone Age archive that begins about 227,000 years ago and continues to about 43,000 years ago. A stunning sight, as you can see from this image. And at Border Cave, we have discovered starchy underground stems and corms that were roasted from at least 160,000 years ago, perhaps 200,000 years ago. So in members 5BS, down at the bottom, and member 4WA, we have now more than 60 whole corms or tubers that were roasted and preserved. After about 200,000 years ago, Homo sapiens in many parts of the world developed pyrotechnology even further. And this suggests that perhaps fire was now created at will, that people had control of fire, perhaps through percussion of rocks, the striker-like method, or friction of wood on wood. But African archaeology is silent on this matter. We simply don't have evidence for that. 
And yet we see increasingly sophisticated pyrotechnology occurring through time, implying that fire should have been created whenever it was desired. So I've chosen three South African sites just to demonstrate some of that um, rather complex pyrotechnology. Down in the south, Pinnacle Point and Blombos, and up on the east coast, Sabudu. Rocks were heat-treated at Pinnacle Point 164,000 years ago, and there at the bottom left you see a heat-treated biface from the area. The heat treating of rocks improves their flakeability. It makes it possible to strike longer, thinner flakes, and it makes it easier for the stone tool napper to strike those flakes. It also improves the, um, the, the quality of the rock itself. And at Blombos, the heat treatment of silkrete at about 75,000 years ago demonstrates that it facilitated the pressure flaking of points to produce these long, thin, rather beautiful points. At Sabudu, we see something different, but it's much more recent. By 72,000 years ago, people were making compound adhesive. And Raman and EDS spectra show that both hematite and carbon was part of the recipes. And at 64,000 years ago, gas and liquid chromatography confirmed that there was coniferous uh, resin on some of the tools mixed together with hematite. Now, adhesive needs low temperatures for the drying and the hardening, so fire is an important part of the complex adhesive um, manufacturing process. And temperatures were controlled through firewood selection and the knowledge of how much wood should be used on any given fire. To sum up, the first use of fire by Homo erectus was seasonally opportunistic. The creation at will by Homo sapiens, the creation of fire at will by Homo sapiens probably started somewhere between 300,000 and 200,000 years ago in the Middle Stone Age. And although we don't have direct archaeological evidence for this, the increasingly sophisticated pyrotechnology from this time suggests that people must have controlled fire. Now, in Europe, we know that um, Neanderthals were using manganese oxides and various rocks to create and strike fire, but we haven't yet found any of that evidence in Africa. I'm sure it's simply a question of looking for it and that that's a story that will be told in the future. In addition to the heat treatment of rocks and adhesive manufacture, people used fire to create medicinal smoke through the careful choice of firewoods. They used campfire, uh, campsite maintenance by using fire to clean up their bedding, for example, and clean trash from their sites, which undoubtedly would have improved um, the health of the people who lived there. 
They used fire for hardening of wooden tools. And Hilary Deacon thought that they might have stimulated the growth of fresh grass in the felt, even during the Middle Stone Age, to lure game to sites. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.